Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. So Devin, you've had a long and storied sales career, and at one point you were actually the first sales rep at a company called OneMob, right? This is true, and I would emphasize storied over long, probably. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I was the first sales rep at a 12-person company about four years ago. So before you joined, who was selling? Before I joined, it was the CEO, CEO and COO. Uh, co-founders. I knew the COO. Uh, he was a friend of mine and yeah, they were doing all the selling and then they reached yeah. out to me uh, to come try to figure out how to sell more. I can, I'm imagining like that would be a really interesting transition of taking the reins from the founders, from the CEO. And now, Hey, you're this new guy. You're going to start selling their product. What was that uh, uh, kind of transition? Like you said an interesting phrase, which is taking the reins. You have to grab those reins. And even if you pull really hard, CEOs don't typically like to give them up. Um, and, and rightfully so, right? It's their, it's their business, their baby, their, their uh, names on the line. Um, it, it was interesting, though, and I kind of touch on that. It was by no means, um, you know, a, a tension-filled relationship. But, you know, they, it's kind of one of those things they br- brought me in to try to build some sense of a sales process and kind of figure out who should really buy this product and how should we price it. And so, yeah, it has a ton of, uh, you know, you get a lot of heated, small, small, but heated uh, conference rooms uh, Mm -hmm. as we figure these things out. Um, One of the coolest things was it was a, it was a uh, mobile video app is what we're selling to salespeople. And something I realized was at the time, video was taking off and marketers actually needed video. And so I was like, hey, we can sell licenses for, you know, $500,000 a pop, whatever they were for at the time and sell it for like five or $10,000 and just sell it to a marketing department and they would have, you know, more use case for it. So that was one of the big wins. And then there's probably how much time do we have? Um, hours of, of, uh, lessons and challenges in terms of, you know, trying to, trying to build a sales process. You know, you get, get a couple stages in, then you lose and you go back. Okay. Again, then you get three stages in, you get closer Mm -hmm. and you get closer and closer uh, until you eventually start seeing some deals come in. And then it's really, really rewarding when you built it from scratch. Would you, would you ever be the first sales rep at a company again? You were almost the first sales rep again at Gong. Yeah. Yeah. Alex Vassin was first. I came probably four or five months after him. Um, so yeah, I would do it again because I do like that that concept of building. You know, there's nothing before you. You're paving. You're figuring it out. But then I also really like the idea of hey, eventually this will scale, and then I can share what I've learned in the process I've created with other mm-hmm. reps. And now we're you know only only in small part to me and much to the entire Gong organization. What well over 150 sales reps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
listeners, you're probably wondering why am I grilling Devin? Yeah, and, why am uh, I in the hot seat? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the reason being is because today we're actually talking to Sean Hathi Ramani. He's the founder and CEO of Flockshay. And, you know, he started this organization, this company who, that's specifically focused on increasing diversity um, in sales. And as the CEO, at one point, he had to give up those reins, mm-hmm. um, although unwillingly, maybe, uh, to their first sales rep. And so this is what our conversation is all about, like how, whether you are the, the founder or whether you are that sales person, um, what is that experience like? And, and this is also relevant, like imagine, um, you, know, you know, new verticals, new products, like there's like new, almost like mini startups within an organization, yeah. similar kind of experience there too. Yeah, I think it's the... The, the theme could be like handing the reins, right? It's like, okay, if you've built something and you figured out, you know, to a degree, there's always that point of, I need to bring someone else in who knows more, or I know enough to start scaling. But then there's that concept of like, how much, you know, how quickly do I let go? What, what things, you know, do we take into account and add to the process? And that was cool to hear from Sean, how he approached that. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's get into it with Sean. I am super excited to welcome Sean Hathi Romani to reveal. Hey, Sean, how are you? Hey, Sheena. Thanks for having me on. We have been waiting to have you on the show for some time. Devin, also welcome back. This is your first episode since you welcomed Rumi to the world. So we are so happy for you. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. I am happy to be back and pumped to meet Sean as well. I've been uh, doing a good job not checking email throughout the the pat leave time, but I did see Sean's name coming up and I was excited because it looked like we were finally closing in on our interview. And Sean, we're going to have a really great conversation. And for our listeners, um, Sean is currently the CEO of FlockJ, which is a premier online learning academy, particularly for tech folks. They also help um, set up folks uh, who are getting into sales with their best next step in their careers with great companies. Um, We have been fortunate to be working with FlockJ, so we're, we're really excited about that. And today we're going to dive a little bit more into how you got your business off the ground, you know, selling as you know, the CEO and, and set, making those first sales. And then talk a little bit more about like diversity in the workplace, particularly for sales, um, which is something that you, you know, live and breathe every single day. That all sounds great. And Devin, can I just say that Rumi is a beautiful name? So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, well, I'm also very excited about the Flock J uh, partnership that we have with you at Gong. But before we get into the details, uh, a couple intro questions to get to get rolling here, Sean. I read that one of your favorite activities is swimming in the San Francisco Bay. <laughs> so between the water temperatures and the currents, which are both uh, one very low, the other, you know, quite dangerous, uh, you know, that's a pretty intense and unique form of exercise. So I'm curious, do you do it because it's fun or because you like the challenge or, or maybe a little bit of both? I would say starting a company and swimming in frigid 50 degree waters with white sharks in them are fairly similar exercises. <laughs> um, so in one way, one flows into the other, but uh, I think especially in the world we're living in today, moments of stillness are so precious and whether it's swimming or running or taking some time for yourself, uh, that's one of the ways that I find that stillness and that helps me keep moving. So um, I've, I've been swimming for a long time and I think it's one of the great things about living in the Bay Area is just all the natural beauty and ways we can be a part of it. 
Well, I'm impressed already, and we're a couple minutes into this interview. Um, I also live in San Francisco, but I take uh, the beauty I take is on land, usually around trees where it's it's shark free. So I, I applaud you and your bravery. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. And and speaking of swimming, um, you are not known to stay in your own swim lane. You know, you started your career teaching financial literacy. You then worked in finance uh, for many years. So why sales and how did you kind of shift your career? Yeah, thanks for the question. I think something I've always been passionate about is teaching. And um, as a first generation kid myself, part of that was just having a very early appreciation for education and access to networks of opportunity. And so when I graduated college, which I was fortunate enough to do, that was in the midst of the last recession where uh, financial literacy, I think, was top of mind for everyone, myself included, and certainly wasn't a skill set that I had uh, been exposed to either in school or, or even at home. So that influenced a lot of just how I walked through life for the next decade or so in spending a lot of time in Chicago, helping build nonprofits to teach financial literacy and New York, and then working in finance to take those skills I was learning and bring industry into those classrooms where um, you could create that impact and that sense of connection between what we were teaching our future leaders and what our companies were asking for in their in their um, in the folks they looked to hire. And I think where sales came out of that, like many things, it's just in hindsight. A lot of what all of us do, whether it's moving others or solving problems or conducting discovery or even listening, is sales. It is such an empowering life skill that if you want to start a business or if you want to work for a software company or anything in between, it's one of those fundamental life skills, which surprisingly, tragically, amazingly isn't taught. Um, it is something that is a lived and learned experience that we accumulate along the way. And so when I moved out to San Francisco and started to think about how do I grow my impact in teaching skills that would power the jobs of the future, and what are the most accessible jobs of the future for anyone who wanted to access the limitless potential of the software industry as a career, sales stood out to me as like the best kept hidden secret in tech, where it is in plain sight, one of the most accessible on-ramps into our industry, where it doesn't matter where you went to school or even if you went to school at all, you could launch an incredibly fulfilling career where you're solving real world problems, growing your own life skill set, um, and creating a brand new career and livelihood for yourself. So I think it was a realization that sales is just a part of our lives, that in the interactions with companies, it was this constant thread of we just need great sales talent to grow faster and do our jobs better, and the accessibility that here was this hidden secret and all that was missing was that bridge, that on-ramp to connect the hidden limitless talent that existed that would be great at this role and companies like Gong who are lighthouses in the industry who are growing quickly, who want to build purposeful businesses and reach their customers better. So that's how sales got to me. It was more a function of realizing how it is much bigger than what you might see in Wolf of Wall Street or Mad Men. I love that you called sales an on-ramp into the industry because uh, it is how a lot of people get in, myself included. And you can 
um, make obviously a great sales career out of it. But just like you said, so many of the things from uh, listening and problem solving, you learn those in a sales role, and then you can take them to other parts uh, of the organization or other organizations. So I really like that. And yeah, you kind of have to, the, the irony is very high in terms of sales is one of the oldest, you know, professions of all time. It's ancient. And yet there's really not that many people out there teaching it. And so that's why I really, really applaud what you guys are doing. I appreciate that. And something I think Gong does really well is it acknowledges the humanity of sales, that there is a way in which technology can and, and should accelerate the way in which we connect to other humans. But the fundamentals of human to human connection and solving problems together, to me, no matter how much technology introduced, will still exist. And so the need for platforms like Gong will still exist and the people to use platforms like Gong will still exist. And so that's why uh, I'm really excited about the work you guys are doing at Gong and, and the ways in which we fit so nicely together at FlockJ. So Sean, as you started FlockJ, you were able to raise money from some pretty big names that everybody knows, like Serena Williams, Will Smith, uh, you know, the Microsoft chairman, John Thompson, like that's quite incredible. So what do you think it was about the FlockJ story that encourage it and, uh, you know, encourage those folks to invest in your company? Yeah, thank you. I think a lot of um, what I touched on and what led me to sales is also what led me to start FlockJ and also what led me to um, realize that this was part of a much larger generational opportunity that so many different stakeholders saw as being a problem that was hidden in plain sight. That was one of those rare win-win-win kind of problems where you're helping companies predictably hire and train the best sales talent faster. It is a problem that any company has, especially in tech, around how they can identify that in the absence of a sales degree, right? Um, and then also on the accessibility piece, how do we build a better, more generous, more just world, more inclusive world? where we are not just recruiting from the same pools of talent um, that are homogenous that are leading to us not reaching the diversity of our customer set, right? And so that accessibility of broadening the pie of diversifying our workforce and keeping up with the changing world of a more remote workforce too, right? Um, lots of companies are thinking beyond coastal cities and thinking about how do I access talent outside of where I'm most comfortable um, and meet talent where it is. So I think because of all of those problems, they rarely line up in such a aligned way. Um, that has allowed us to build um, the beginnings of a coalition across uh, folks in industry that you mentioned, um, folks who care about issues of economic and social justice, and then also corporate partners like you and like Salesforce and like others um, who appreciate that this is where the future is. And so let's just pull that future into the present. And I think like anything, COVID has played a huge role in accelerating, bringing that future into the present, even over the last seven months. Uh, as a country and as a society, we've gone through, I think, a conscious reawakening around the importance of building just companies that every CEO is thinking about um, how it is table stakes to build economic and social justice into excellence, right? Into the financial increase of value to their company. And FlockJ is an accelerant of that change. We identify 
the best talent that happens to be from non-traditional and historically excluded backgrounds. We train them with the best sales leaders that you can imagine, and then we connect them with incredibly aligned companies. So I think that's part of our early momentum. And our hope is to um, build this broader coalition and bring companies along the way. Yeah, it's interesting. I was reading an article, um, like Bill Gates was on a panel earlier this week um, where he was specifically saying like CEOs have had to think about topics that they've never had to think about and really talk about before. And, you know, diversity and, in, you know, race injustices and those type of topics, of course, is like probably top on that list. I think it's really interesting what Flock J is doing. It kind of answers the, why, uh, the how, right? The why a CEO needs to understand for themselves and be able to communicate that themselves. But Flock J is a really great piece of the how they can implement that at their own companies. Totally. And I think something that helps that conversation is even taking a step back from what we know is right to actually looking at what's great for the business, where if you do go through a program like FlockJ, you ramp in half the time. You hit your quota twice as more reliably. 80% of our reps are hitting quota. You get promoted far faster than your employees. And that's a much, that's a very easy um, conversation to have to any sales leader around de-risking their organization in a time of COVID where there is so much economic uncertainty. And then the light bulb goes off that, oh, wow, like maybe this person doesn't need to have a college degree or maybe this person can come from a non-traditional background. I think every sales leader intuitively knows that someone who's worked in a client-facing role before, like retail sales or sold cars or something like that, has all those traits and attributes like grit, curiosity, coachability, prior success to succeed on their team. But the numbers don't tell that story, right? 50% of retail salespeople self-identify as women, 23 or 25% of tech salespeople identify as women. And so traversing that gap, you know, we play a great role in being able to drive both the economic value and then also, to your point, um, provide the how in closing the gap on some of the issues we're all thinking about as well that are also long-term economically productive for the company. Yeah, I love that because I think a lot of the the, the hurdle is uh, the mindset of you can do both. You, you can build a diverse right. team and have a team that uh, performs, right? Like you're saying some of those stats that your, your reps accomplish. And so it's like... From there, there's really no excuse. You've got it on paper. You know what's you know what's right for building the future of your company. So, I really love that. All right, everyone. In every episode, we have a data breakout. A quick sidebar to look at the data. Attracting a diverse workforce allows you to tap into a broader range of perspectives, helping you relate to the needs of customers from all walks of life. In fact, a study by the Harvard Business Review found that a team with a member who shares a client's ethnicity is 152% more likely to understand that client. Yet the data from the U.S. Census Bureau found that 78.3% of people working in sales are white. And women also still only comprise 39% of the sales workforce and hold just 19% of leadership positions in sales even though they make up over 50% of the U.S. population. That means that there's still a lot of room for improvement when it comes to diversity in the sales profession. Stay tuned to the micro action at the end of the episode for tips to help you build a more diverse team. Let's switch gears a little bit here, Sean. So we talked about it. You were the first sales rep as the CEO. 
I applaud you for that. Yeah. <laughs> Can you share the most memorable experience you had from selling this concept from scratch? Oh my gosh. So I happen to even today go back to Y Combinator to give this food camp. We went through the program when I was starting the company about founder-led sales. And uh, I have this slide that shows perception versus reality of what founder-led sales looks like. And the perception slide is, you know, a fancy headset and like lots of things happening in the background and high fives and gongs. And the reality picture, this is a real picture, is me sitting cross-legged on the carpeted floor of a dimly lit office with headphones on and a laptop on my legs, like six Zoom calls in, just going from meeting to meeting to meeting um, and learning, you know, after each call. And I, some of the fondest and most like, uh, you know, impactful memories of that time is that so much of sales is, is self-discovery about what you're selling and how you're selling it and how to rapidly learn from what is and isn't actually solving uh, a pain point. And so I just remember that there would be these days I'd block out where I'd line up six, seven, eight sales calls, and I was just go one after the other after the other. And it was exhausting. It was so exhausting that when I came home, I just couldn't talk to anyone. I was the most monk-like introverted person. I was like, <laughs> I, I've, I've depleted the talking meter for the day. I'm just in a monastic silence. And then you, you go back and you do it again. But it's the fastest way to learn. And anyone who's done outbound sales or inbound sales knows that that is part of why we all love sales is that you are constantly learning and tweaking and iterating and building and it's unsexy and it's unglamorous and you're on the carpet and you're with your laptop and you're, um, and you're learning. So that, that's one of the things I remember fondly about that experience. I can definitely relate to uh, long days in sales of, you know, four, five, six, seven hours of talk time. And then you get home and your, your wife or your partner goes, so how was your day? And the last <laughs> thing you want to do is repeat all the, <laughs> all the things that you did that day, just because you're so exhausted. Um, if possible, I'd love to see that deck. Maybe we can share it in the show notes. You know, we love, uh, you know, perception versus reality here on Revealed. Um, I'm curious, Sean, do you have also maybe any, um, like, Hey, this was the big mistake I made as I was getting started and, and maybe our listeners can, can avoid that in their experience. Yeah. I think one of the things that we think about a lot as a company still today is just ensuring that you're really empathizing with the day-to-day -day of that person you're speaking to. And there is a difference sometimes between the buyer and the user of your product. And so uh, one of the things that, you know, I appreciated very early is sales leaders are very busy and they care about hiring right in the moment where you need hiring. Whereas recruiting is always thinking about hiring, right? And so there's uh, a really important understanding generally in terms of uh, who you're speaking to and why and how you're building the blocks to showing um, the value that you create. And so for the sales leader, meeting them at that exact moment and showing how you de-risk this hire, you increase those metrics I spoke about and do it in a way that doesn't require a lot of cognitive lift. And then for the recruiter, it's how we're partnering with you and not against you and actually improving your metrics of time to hire and closing these open recs and ensuring you to hit your goals in diversity and also ensuring you to hit your goals in retention. So that was a lesson that we learned very early on is just know who's in the room and why you're speaking and don't show up and throw up. 
And the way in which you can tailor that conversation is just spend as much time as possible listening on that call. Just stop talking, start listening, and they will tell you exactly what it is you need to know. That's exactly where your your background in teaching comes into play <laughs> and, and those listening and patience skills. Yeah. Yeah. If you can teach 10th graders on the west side of Chicago financial literacy, you can <laughs> conduct a sales call in software. So it definitely was really great preparation. So today, can you tell us what your, your sales team looks like now? Yes. So we have a quickly growing sales team, some of whom we've hired from our own program itself. And we take a partnerships-driven approach where um, Donnie, our head of partnerships, spends a lot of time building relationships with leading software companies to better understand how their teams are growing, what their internal education needs are, and how sales talent works. And then we have a team of partnerships managers that he's building around him. So we have three people on that team today, and that number is growing as well. And as we continue to invest in that effort, a lot of what we're seeing organically happen as people find us and, and hear about the events we put on and other things like that is um, how do we build longer relationships to also help um, us build um, just like more efficient sales teams in general. For the folks that we place in a company like Gong, we observe them starting to have a positive influence in other people on their team, bringing in some of those skills and best practices that they've learned. And so that's how we're orienting our sales team to um, build those deeper relationships with um, larger and larger companies to, to understand how those teams function. I have to imagine when you brought on your first sales leader, there was some sense of losing control, right? When you were the one that was in the seat, you knew how every deal was going. You probably felt like you know the company the best. You can sell the product the best, but that was not necessarily the case. So I'm wondering when you brought on your first sales leader, what qualities were you specifically looking for uh, in him or her? Oh my gosh, this is so true. And in fact, um, I took this role as you know the first salesperson and Kelly Schur um, was one of my first hires at Flockchain is still uh, a core part of Flockchain. She leads our sales training effort. So she's taken her experience as the first AE at Intercom and early at Box and having built and led teams herself, she's taken that to our curriculum. And she and I you know, led the charge on all the deals. So we almost like in the matrix could see all the different paths that would happen on a different call. And as you mentioned, as you start to grow the team, there is that urge to be like, hey, this is what you're gonna encounter and this is what you should and shouldn't do. And there is value to creating those playbooks. But if there's one thing I've appreciated is that everyone has their own way of selling. And so you're really looking to empower people with that autonomy to fail fast, but also to sample the different things that worked for me, the different things that worked for Kelly. Kelly and I approach sales conversations differently. And I think what was cool for someone like Donnie was his ability to uh, be able to sample and listen in on those calls and, and, and some of our um, playbooks and things we put together and start to think about what is my approach to this? What is the thing I'm going to bring that's new? And it's been such a refreshing delight for me to hop on and shadow Donnie or Megan um, or Rebecca or Tila on one of their calls and see just like how this has changed. It wasn't easy, candidly, like, you know, taking a step back. And as the founder, you're always 
especially when a deal is somewhere in the pipeline, you're always tempted to just jump in and uh, add that extra sparkle, but you have to learn to let those things play out a bit and come in only when um, you're needed uh, to come in. So I think the biggest learning for me in handing over the reins was creating a culture where it was okay to fail fast and it was okay um, to watch and, and see things happen in a way that I wouldn't have done them. And I think for any founder that takes some time, but uh, I'm really excited about the, the place we're in and the work Donnie is doing and the way the team is functioning um, today. And it's, 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 a, it's a cool moment to be able to see how many new things are popping up in those calls. That's great. I, uh, very well said. And really, oh, I'm actually getting some gummy bears right now. <laughs> there is literally no place to hide in my house. I'm sitting in my closet and <laughs> there's nowhere left to go. <laughs> For those listening, we're definitely keeping this in the interview. Uh, we're we're yes. on video, and we just see a basketball replace Sheena's head from above, which I imagine is uh, her son letting her know it's time for a game of one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, <laughs> so, so so right afterwards, I have to imagine that's going down. <laughs> okay, Sean, so clearly FlockJ was designed around your passion for building a more diverse tech workforce. And hopefully the sales leaders listening to this are either already in that camp, or maybe this helped them kind of visualize what it could look like for them. What are some of the biggest challenges you've seen leaders face when trying to build a more diverse team? I think every one of us wants to do the right thing, wants to build a more successful sales team that hits quota more reliably and faster and grows, and also builds a more equitable team where the long-term ramifications of building a more diverse sales team and organization create so many positive feedback loops. You then can recruit even better talent. You then have such a vibrant culture internally. You're reaching different kinds of customers. I think it clicks at least intellectually to most sales leaders today in 2020 that that is the case. I think the biggest challenge mentally is around risk and speed. I want to do the right thing. It takes a little bit more work and time, but I also need this butt in this seat. And so the path of least resistance is to do what I've done before, even if that hasn't worked, right? Because the churn in and around sales is real. The economic waste of hiring, training, firing, and rehiring is real. But like many things in our society, it is easier for us to do the short-term thing that feels good, even if it creates a larger and more financially impactful long-term problem. And so what I think we are all starting to give ourselves permission to do is to think bigger and more creatively around the long-term success of our organizations and make that investment and do that work and create that budget. And in the event that you need to move fast um, like there still are ways for you to move the needle and to look at that incremental resume and to look beyond coded language like this person lacks polish or professionalism and confront that bias head on and reward the people in your interview loops who are actually creating positive experiences for folks from excluded or non-traditional backgrounds. Career KPIs for salespeople should include how are we furthering the success of our organization in our recruiting practices? Are we getting good feedback around how we're conducting these interviews? How, like, what are our stats? And I think 
when companies partner with us, that is the easiest step they can take because we've done a lot of this work and we continue to do this work after you hire from FlockJ. We support both the company and the graduate and their continued success. So I think the biggest challenge historically has been the perceived trade-off on speed and, and time in terms of goals. And I think the answer to that is realizing that in today's world, A, that work is worth it. It's like climate change or anything else. It is the clear and obvious economically positive thing to do in addition to the right just thing to do. And there are tools. There is the how, as you said, Sheena, like FlockJ exists. There are so many talented people out there um, and there are ways to de-risk this process mentally that allow you to achieve your business goals in the same amount of speed, if not faster. Um, so that's what I'm most excited about. And this is the time to do it. I can build an office outside of the Bay Area or New York. I can start to spin up an investment um, in a different city. And, and yeah, we're, we are one team, one dream in that effort. We wanna be as helpful and supportive as we can um, to anyone looking to prioritize getting top performing sales talent in their organization. I have to ask you, what are you most excited about the future of sales? Yes, so I think one of the things I am most excited about, and I think COVID has laid this bare, is that sales is a profession that requires continuous improvement and upskilling. And I think as an industry, we're realizing that the days of the two week internal boot camp, never to train again, are over. And that the ways we're doing that training should change as well to make them engaging and motivating and interesting. Even how you prospect during COVID is an entirely new discipline than prospecting prior to COVID. And so I'm most excited about just the raised social consciousness around sales as a continuous discipline uh, of improvement and the investment needed to make that work. And I think that will be a huge step forward in also shining a light on how accessible and empowering this career is. That it is the first of many steps you can take to be a future leader internally. It isn't just a transactional role where you're given a phone, a headset, and a Salesforce account and you're expected to dial for dollars. And so that to me is the biggest structural change in and around investing back into our own sales forces and their betterment and their motivation, frankly, uh, and their care. Uh, companies historically haven't done a great job of helping people fall in love with sales. And I think we're now at that moment where it makes so much sense to do that. So true. We um, have used the term internally ever boarding. You're not just onboarding your team once. It's ongoing. It's all the time. You have, you have to continuously invest in your, you know, some of your most valuable employees, your sales folks. Yes, I could not agree more. And I will shamelessly cop that phrase uh, internally as well. So I love it. Ever boarding. <laughs> <laughs> so Sean, we ask all of our guests the same question to wrap up every episode. How would you describe sales in one word? Listening. I think it is the art of listening and it is the art of um, solving problems. Those would be the cheating two words. It's a lot of listening, a lot of solving problems. That's perfect. And if anybody, if you listen to this episode at all, that is a great summary of the entire conversation. <laughs> I, I um, actually have a bonus question, Sean. I'm curious. 
Sure. Where did the name Flock J come from? Ah, thank you for asking. Good one. So Flock J comes from an idea that I think you both can empathize with, that birds fly farther and faster together. Mm -hmm. And that sales in particular is a team sport where uh, historically we've been conditioned to think it's one number on the board that you have to hit internally, but so much magic happens when you're lifting each other up. And everything we do internally in terms of how we teach and how we support and how we create a community of the best sales reps who leave Flock J is built around that principle of flying farther and faster together. When you graduate Flock J, your relationship with Flock J begins. It doesn't end. And part of that is knowing that you have hundreds of folks who have your back, who've been through Flock J, who are part of the Flock J team, who if you want to sell to an organization, odds are someone in that network knows someone there. So that day one has been top of mind for me to create a really vibrant, positive, uplifting community in our industry. That's so I love good. That. It's a theme we've been hearing, Sheena, because Chris Voss was on a couple of weeks ago and he said, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Sean says, get a flock and you can do both. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Sean, thank you again for your time. I am, uh, I'm a fan. Having met you for the first time today, I was already a fan of Flock J, but uh, really, really appreciate the work you guys are doing and, and happy to be a partner. So thanks for being on Reveal today. Likewise. Thank you both for having me and excited to continue working together both on this podcast and broadly as an industry. Thanks, Sean. Every week, we like to bring you a micro action, something you can think about or put into play. If you're looking to build more diversity into your sales team, but aren't sure where to start, here are a few areas you can focus on first. Understand your current reality. What's the makeup of your existing sales teams? Which perspectives and backgrounds are underrepresented? Remove hidden biases from your recruiting process. Do the ideal candidate descriptions in your job postings unintentionally dissuade minority candidates from applying? Last, look for recruiting weak points. A good place to start is to get feedback from your candidates on how you can improve your candidate journey. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.